Today's episode is supported by Vivo Barefoot, whose mission is very close to my heart. There's something incredibly powerful about feeling the ground beneath your feet. It's more than just like walking or running. It's about forming a connection with the earth, a connection that most modern footwear has unfortunately severed. Vivo Barefoot aims to mend this disconnect by making footwear that's wide, thin and flexible, enabling natural movement. Born from a long lineage of cobblers, Vivo Barefoot carries a rich heritage of craftsmanship and a deep understanding of what makes footwear truly beneficial for us. Enjoy the discount code HARVEST15. Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. It all happened very organically, and then as soon as we had our first teacher training, it was, I think, 15 students at a winery in, let's see, Santa Cruz Mountains, and we had people from Colombia, from Hong Kong, from UK, so it already was an international thing early, and when we brought in that money, we were like, okay, we have to start a business, so we started a business, and the goal of Acroyoga from that point until now was to make Acroyoga global practice. It wasn't to make money, it wasn't to do anything other than to share and spread this thing that we thought had value for the world. So it was very altruistic, very big picture, and we did not profit or make a lot of money. We made a lot of friends and we built something that did reach the objective, which was Acroyoga is now a global practice and it, it didn't happen accidentally. It happened from a lot of dedication, will, and, and being lit up by seeing people around the world have a very similar experience. Hi, I'm Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Caplancaya with Jason Nemer. He is a champion acrobat. By the age of 16, Jason had won silver and bronze medals at the World Championship of Sports Acrobatic. And at 21, he realized his dream of performing at the Olympic Games. He is a co-founder of Acroyoga, and today we'll discuss his practice, which has gained worldwide recognition with celebrity clients and companies such as Google. I was impressed with the lot of fun We had everybody was smiling, laughing, and it was a great moment. That was maybe not the goal of the when you created this sport of, of the fun, but you found it in the way. What was your objective when you created Acro Yoga? I was hanging out with my dad uh, maybe a year ago, and he looked at me. I forget what I did. And he's like, "Everything's just a game to you," and he said it with a kind of a sarcastic <laughs> attitude, and I took it as a compliment. I'm like, "You're right. You know your son well." And <laughs> It's interesting that I have been a very disciplined athlete and to get to the levels that I got, it wasn't from just playing, but it was the infusion of joyful things. When I find things that I deeply feel nourished by and I love, I can dedicate a lot of energy to. So in my acrobatic career, I started as a gymnast 
And I remember very clearly uh, there was a magazine that comes out every month back when there was magazines. And uh, it had these three gymnasts that won first place, second place, third place. First place was a Chinese, no happiness on their face. Second place, a Russian, no happiness on their face. Third place was this American girl. She was beaming. She was so happy. And I remember looking at that photo, I'm like, third place is winning. (laughs) Incredible. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I, I went from gymnastics to partner acrobatics early in my career because it was more fun. And being able to identify things that I enjoy and and follow them deeply, it was one of the pillars of acroyoga from the beginning. What is acroyoga? Yeah, acroyoga is a practice that blends acrobatics, yoga, and therapeutics. It is uh, predominantly a partner practice, and it's also a community practice. So when you find... It's everything starts from yourself. So if you are strong and flexible as an individual, or if you're not strong and not flexible as an individual, those are your, your inputs. And then you get with one other person and you get to exchange these practices. And just by doing acro yoga, you get more strong, you get more flexible, you get more balanced. And then it ripples out bigger when you do it in a community. So acro yoga, there are three positions. There's a base who's usually lifting somebody up. There's a flyer who's up in the air. Then there's a spotter who's giving a, a level of safety, but also an outside perspective. And what's really beautiful about the practice is the way that I teach it and the way that many people practice it is base flyer spotter trilogy. You rotate from one position to the next. So I might identify as I'm a base. I'm strong, I'm sturdy. And then I'll fly 50 people and I'll be like, why are you so scared? You know, you're not doing it right. You should just trust me. And then I step out of my comfort zone and I fly something and I feel, oh, wow, this is scary. And so when you change positions, you get visceral information and compassion for another person's uh, experience. And then when you're the spotter and you're outside and you're looking at a base and a flyer, you're like, well, why doesn't the base do it with the arm straight. It's going to be much easier. So you end up learning from each position, how you can become better at the practice. When you say flying someone, what does it mean to fly someone? Yeah. Airplane is something that a lot of us have done as children. Yeah. Uh, I have a primatologist, a PhD that went to the, the Congo and, and studied bonobos. And she told me about these trust games. And one of the things that bonobos do, humans do, is we lift each other up and we develop trust. So the technical term is L basing. It's when somebody lays on their back, legs up in the air. So it's an L shape. And then somebody's on their feet doing any number of different shapes. So that's kind of what acro yoga flying is, is one person lifting the other. You have yoga in the name. Uh, did you do yoga, a lot of yoga before? Yes and no. Uh, when I was four, my mom taught me transcendental meditation. She would have us go up into shoulder stands when commercials came on. So my mom was a super hippie and she definitely influenced my path a lot. But I didn't do traditional yoga until college. That was my first actual 60-minute yoga class. But it, it very much moved aspects of my life that the acrobatics never touched. So as an acrobat, I was a competitor. I was I wanted to be the best in the world. It was a lot of push, go, 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 a lot of injuries. And just, you know, if the fiery parts of acrobatics are beautiful. They transform you. They make you strong and confident. But they're also a lot of costs. And the yoga practice, I would go to the 60-minute yoga uh, class in college, 
And it was a 60 minute class. I think it started at 8 a.m. I would almost always show up 15 minutes to my 60 minute yoga class. I would do these poses and then the teacher would say really beautiful spiritual things and she would have me focus on my breath and I would leave this class on a cloud and I would look out at the ocean. I was uh, going to San Diego, UCSD. So it was a beautiful campus, but when I left the yoga class, everything was more bright and beautiful. And so as soon as I really started to get into yoga, it had a big transformation in my being because it, it touched my spirit, my soul. And as soon as that got awakened and opened, I was like, okay, well, I've got all this acrobatic stuff. Now I've got this yoga stuff. And then I met the co-founder and just started mixing our bag of tricks. Were you interested in uh, the spirituality of uh, yoga too? Hmm. So uh, my last semester in university, I took an Asian philosophy course and I, I learned about Taoism and that, that dropped on me like a bag of bricks. It was so heavy in a good way where it had me investigating my worldview in ways that I didn't know I could. So that was kind of the first big spiritual infusion and yoga It, it took more time because I had to find the right teachers that uh, would present yoga in that way. And I started reading spiritual books. When I graduated college, it was the first and only time I was reading five books at once. I was reading this spiritual book and that spiritual book. And I was just feeding myself with this hunger that I didn't know was there and being quenched in ways that I didn't know I could. So the, the yoga spiritual transformation was, was and still is fierce. How did you get the idea you created Acro Yoga and when did you think it could be like um, a sport in itself? So I met the co-founder December 20th, 2003 in San Francisco and I'd been in San Francisco for about six months. I graduated the Bikram Yoga uh, school and started teaching Bikram Yoga and I was also coaching uh, cheerleaders, teaching them how to do tumbling. So I had all these different things that I was doing and I kept hearing about this, this woman, Jenny, that I needed to meet. And we were actually training at the same uh, circus center in San Francisco with a bunch of amazing Chinese coaches. And I would teach trampoline in the evenings. She was doing contortion in the morning. So we kept missing each other for many months, but kept hearing about each other. And then the first night we met, It was a vortex that I can't explain, don't need to, because acroyoga is what came of it. Uh, we were up until 5 a.m. that first night we met, and I did things with her that she never thought she could do, and she did things that I never experienced before. And the two things were, I was an acrobat, so I lifted her, I put her into my hands in a handstand, and she'd seen that before, but she never thought she could do it, so I blew her mind. And then after that, she's like, well, let me share this therapeutic thing with you. Lean, lean forward and I'm going to lift you up. And she's tiny. And she put me upside down. She's like, now relax all of your muscles. And as an acrobat, when you go upside down, you don't relax muscles. You're squeezing, you're pushing, you're very active. And so that was the first time that I felt the power of surrendering my body as I was upside down. And she was a therapist so she could move my muscles and my bones. And, and then when I came down, I was just mind blown. And then we kept talking about how we could teach partner yoga, which is very low risk and it helps develop breath awareness and trust and communication. And then we can do the acrobatics and then we can uh, end, end a session with Thai massage. So we really, we thought up the practice in that first night. And then I was teaching uh, a partner doubles class at the circus center the next week. It was a new, new session in January. And she's like, can I teach with you? And I was like, sure. So that's, that's kind of where it started. 
So Jenny, with a background in circus yoga, and Jason, world champion in sports acrobatics, had this incredible fusional meeting in 2003, and Acroyoga was born. They wrote a first training manual, formed an official curriculum, and certified the first group of Acroyoga teachers in 2006. Since, more than 1,500 Acroyoga teachers have been taught and certified, and we can see videos of celebrities such as Ashley Jude or Britney Spears enjoying the challenge. Jason, how did you decide to make um, a business out of this practice? I actually went to school for economics and then I found yoga and spirituality. And when I started building, I basically got my degree to get my parents off my back because you need to be an adult now. You need to get your degree. You need to build your life. And so I, I agreed to <laughs> get my degree. And, and then uh, as soon as I got my degree, did not use it ever. But what happened was we were teaching, basically we met in 2003. 2006 was the first Acroyoga teacher training. And before we did the teacher training, we, we were realizing that we would teach these workshops and people like you, you did a one hour workshop. How many things do you think you remembered from the workshop? Uh, positions? Yeah, like could could you do a lot of the things that you did without seeing it again or having somebody guide you through? Two or three? Yeah, yeah. 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 So the thing that we realized is we kept teaching and we teach a three-hour workshop and we just throw many things at them. And then at, at the end, they, they didn't know what they did. So okay. we realized that, okay, we have this practice. Let's make a book so we can teach a workshop and then hand them the book. And then as soon as we made the book, we're like, well, maybe we should teach teachers how to teach what's in the book. So it all happened very organically. And then as soon as we had our first teacher training, it was, I think, 15 students at a winery in, let's see, Santa Cruz Mountains. And we had people from Colombia, from Hong Kong, from UK. Mm-hmm. So it already was an international thing early. And... When we brought in that money, we were like, okay, we have to start a business. So we started a business and the goal of Acroyoga from that point until now was to make Acroyoga a global practice. It wasn't to make money. It wasn't to do anything other than to share and spread this thing that we thought had value for the world. So it was very altruistic, very big picture. And we did not profit or make a lot of money. We made a lot of friends and we built something that did reach the objective, which was Acroyoga is now a global practice. And it, it didn't happen accidentally. It happened from a lot of dedication, will, and and being lit up by seeing people around the world have a very similar experience. Do you train them in a softer way than the Bikram in a different way than? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of my teachers, uh, just like parents, like they teach you two ways, by things that you appreciate about them and things that you can't stand about them. And Bikram, he's a scoundrel. He's got a lot of very out of alignment things and I could see it and feel it then, but he also had a lot of things that were very, very powerful. And he's a very confident man and I learned a lot from him, but I also knew I don't want to copy all of his behaviors. I want to take the ones that I think are of value and aligned with me and bring them forward. And that's, that's what I've done with all my teachers. I, I have a really good uh, track record of being able to find somebody, really dedicate to them, extract the knowledge that is of use and leave the rest. How do you respond to uh, some uh, criticism saying that uh, acroyoga is not a miss, lacks the spirituality of the, or the true purist spirit of the yoga? Maybe when I was younger, I, I would try to defend it. But 
everyone has their opinion and everyone has a different relationship to yoga. So a lot of times I, I got into some online banter with people and acro yoga is not yoga. Why are you using that, that name? And I would just say, well, what is your definition of yoga? So I'll ask you, what is your definition of yoga? Flexibility and spirituality. So uh, that that's a definition. Yeah. There are yeah, other definitions, yeah. but if it is yeah. flexibility and spirituality, to be an acroyogi, you have to become flexible physically. You have to become flexible because other people have needs and wants. And what the actual Sanskrit word means is to yoke or to bring union. So how could somebody see acroyoga and say, there's no union happening? There's two people becoming one. So to me, it's very clear that is yoga, but it's not my job or my desire to tell people what they think, what they need to think yoga is. It depends on your definition of yoga and I'm happy to share my experience, but I also, this usually stops the conversation. I say to people, you know, if you'd like to have an experience with acro yoga and then we can talk about it, then we'll be talking from the same place. So I invite you to try acro yoga with me and then let's talk about what it is and isn't. Yeah. Because what it looks like and what it feels like, two very different things. What are the background of the teachers uh, usually who want to uh, become uh, acro yoga teachers? It's a wide demographic. You know, sometimes it's a dancer, sometimes it's a gymnast, sometimes it's a yogi. And what I really appreciate about the community is it is diverse, where everyone who becomes an acro yoga teacher already has their own movement practice and their own yoga practice before they come. So you'll have an Iyengar teacher, you'll have a Bikram teacher, you'll have a hot vinyasa teacher. So you have many different disciplines, but then we all learn a common language and a common practice. So by definition, it's hard for an acro yoga teacher to think my practice is the best. And because a lot of yoga gets very snobby and Bikram was horrible about this. He would say, all other yoga is shit yoga. I'm the only good yoga. And I hated that about him. Um, so I think that anybody who's finding peace and joy and uplifting themselves from doing yoga, amazing. Do Kundalini, do whatever you want to do. And throughout your life, your body's going to change hormonally, physically, and you can't do the same yoga from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. It's going to modify. And uh, Ashtanga yoga is something that is done. It was designed by Patabi Joyce for teenage boys, literally. So when women in their 40s are doing this very masculine Ashtanga practice, it's affecting their biochemistry. A lot of women will not have proper menstrual cycles. And the only thing that is true of about all yogis and all yoga, yoga is a practice of transformation. Yoga is a practice that embraces change. Lord Shiva is the patron saint of yoga and he's about destruction. He's about transforming things. So um, yeah, that is a very inherent thing that things are gonna evolve as you step into the practice. When you see Jason Nemer in Kaplankaya, you can help but notice his phenomenal energy. During harvest, I could join a class on the grass facing the agency. At the beginning, when Jason asks you to let you fall vertically on someone, I must confess it's quite challenging. A matter of trust, as my German acroyoga partner said. But little by little, you just realize that you can do incredible moves and very quickly, even with two people. And that creates a lot of fun, joy, and connection. So from this moment on, I'm in charge. I'm the only one standing, right? 
Jason is there, you good? What's your name? Theodore. Theodore? Yes. You good there? Yes, good, good. Yeah? <laughs> strong, strong. Yeah? Now, I want to go into my heart opening, but this is the last thing I'm gonna do. First, what I want is to make sure that everybody's okay. I'm leading already. Jason, you good? Yeah. Yeah? Philador? It's okay, let's go. A little more. And now, maybe I can start. Do you think in sports we should take things less seriously? I think there's time and a place for every range of the emotions. When I was a competitive acrobat, when I was in China trying to beat every acrobat in the world and become a world champion, I was very intense and I was very focused on what I was trying to achieve. But there's also something beautiful about being extremely humble. And I think that's the teachers that I've resonated the most with are super advanced, very high level. Dharma Mitra is one of my dearest teachers. And when I first went to New York to study with him, he looks like the janitor. He's just like sweeping. He's so sweet and humble. And uh, so I've patterned a lot of my, my beliefs about how I want to show up as I don't want to have a guru complex. I don't want to, you know, fill my own ego in a way that is not inclusive to inviting people into a practice. So I think there are times and places for yoga to be serious and to be really dedicated to it. But I come back to, I want to enjoy it. And for me, lightness and joy, they have, they have a resonance. So you're able to put your ego on the side, but you also told me that ego is your amigo. Ego can be your amigo. <laughs> According to my friend Eloisa, I quote her. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How so? There are many uh, buzzwords we hear in, in the woke yoga community about The present moment is the most important thing. And I, I was actually on a bicycle in Amsterdam one time uh, many years ago, and I was thinking about presence, past and future. I'm like, I am so lucky that I'm on a bicycle in Amsterdam and I'm so happy, but I'm also looking in front of me. And if I don't look in front of me, I'm going to run into this person. And I also remember yesterday there was an apple tart right next to this coffee shop. So I can go roll up a joint, have an apple tart. And I was thinking about the past. And, and that was one of the first really powerful shifts of the present moment's beautiful, but we have a capacity to be in the past and the future. And that can be a gift and it can be a trap. Same thing with ego. Acro yoga would not be a global practice if I didn't have a, an absurd amount of confidence that I could bring this practice to the world and the world would resonate with it. So ego gets you out of bed. Ego makes you do things. And ego can drive you to a very narcissistic, not nice place for yourself or the people around you. So I don't like absolutes. I'm a Pisces. I like to wiggle around things. And, and I think everyone has a different uh, recipe for happiness in their life. And I think if happiness and joy is your guiding compass, sometimes stepping in with a very powerful ego can be amazing for you and the people around you. And other times it can be very disempowering and very ugly. So if uh, you had to put music into um, acro yoga, which kind of uh, music would it be? What a fun question. <laughs> it depends on what type of acro yoga I'm doing. I love bossa nova music. I love jazzy things. And there's, it would depend on the level of person that I'm working with. Um, so when I was in China many years ago, this contortionist 
came to uh, my workshop and she was so flexible and so talented and she spoke as much English as I spoke Chinese. And okay. so we just started jamming and improving. So when I'm with a really high level person, I don't need language. So music can really inspire movement. But then if I'm doing more dynamic calisthenic muscle building, you know, little can be really fun too. So just, just like dancing it depends on what kind of energy you want to unlock, what music will pair well with it. You were mentioning language. That's interesting because uh, here at Harvest, sometimes we have people like uh, with not the same level of, mm-hmm. um, of, uh, of English and uh, communicating, sometimes communicating can be a struggle, uh, but you encourage people to, uh, to communicate. So I was in Mexico City where I was born with my dad uh, many years ago and He, so when I was, I was born in Mexico city, but I wasn't raised with Spanish. My parents decided when I was very young that you're going to be an American. And, and it was, you know, kind of a sad decision. I think I would have loved to be fluent in Spanish, but I have claimed it. And I have decided I want to learn Spanish. I want to go hang out with my grandma, learn how to make black beans and talk trash when I'm playing cards in Spanish. So I've achieved those things. (laughs) And when we were in Mexico city, he was telling me that the, the subway stations, it will be Olbeja and it'll have a picture of a bee. So the people that are not literate can know I get off at the bee place. Okay. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's really cool. I want to, I want to bring this into Acroyoga. So I made a table of Acroyoga elements, which basically are the images of mm-hmm. different flying poses. And that way, when language is something that keeps you from doing Acroyoga, it's a missed opportunity because if somebody knows how to do the practice, like maybe you were in France and you learned Acroyoga then there's somebody in Russia that learned Acroyoga from somebody who speaks Russian. And then we go to Cambodia, we get those three people together. They can have a very meaningful interaction without sharing one yeah. word because words are, are born of the mind and our mind and our brains are brilliant. And there's a cost. The scientific revolution has turned our species into people that trust the brain more than they trust the body. We've had spiritual and mystical practices for thousands of years before we had modern medicine. So the ability to really trust this vessel of wisdom and to find somebody from another culture that has a completely different language, that language isn't an obstacle to connection. It's actually language can be an obstacle to connection. And when you drop into a physical resonance with other people, it's palpable and it's life-changing. And that's, that's really my life goal is to get a billion acroyogis because then there are no more strangers. There are just people that you haven't flown yet, people you haven't played with yet. And that's, that's why I'm doing all this. Do you have to have the same weight size to have a partner in uh, acroyoga? Yeah. So the way I teach beginners, you know, you'll get a, a big, tall rugby player and a little short girlfriend and they come to an acro yoga class. Ideally, what I, what I try to do is when you're starting the practice, you start with same size people. And the reason why you do same size is the geometry of how bodies fit. If you're going to do basing, flying and spotting, if you're going to rotate positions, if you have a tiny beginner and a really big flyer, that's very difficult. Challenging, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the same thing when you get higher up in the practice, it's kind of like when you lift weights. If you're learning a new way to lift a weight, you do it with a light weight first, then you do it with a heavier weight. And then people that are, you know, Olympic weightlifters, 
they can lift tremendous amounts of weight because their technique is refined. So I can lift very heavy people without injuring myself because I know basically how to use my muscles and bones in a harmonious way. When you're a beginner, just like if you're playing guitar for the first time, you're pushing your fingers on the string 10 times harder than you need to. You're banging on those strings because you know, you're a little clumsy, you're like a little kid. And the more refined you get, the less energy you need to, to lift people. Would the elder, older people or injured people, could, do, um, could they do yoga, acro yoga? Yeah, so uh, there's a group of acrobats in Holland. Uh, they're 60 years old and older. And they, they do uh, one month, two people will teach these classes. And I got invited to go train with them uh, back in the day. And I was uh, 48 now, so I was in my 30s. And they invited me to this basically geriatric uh, acrobatics class. And these, these guys are doing high-level things. That was very impressive. And I remember the first national championships that I went to in acrobatics, there was a man named George Nissen. He's in the last chapter of my book about sustainability. I talk about uh, four different masters that were very old and could do amazing things. And this guy who invented the trampoline, his name is on most trampolines, okay. George Nissen. Okay. He gets up on a table like this and does a handstand for about a minute when he was 92. And I was sitting not far away from him looking at him like, I want to be that guy. And so I've seen many old people do acrobatics. What you will not see, actually, I learned this quote from uh, my friend, Tim Ferriss. Uh, he learned it from Coach Summers, I believe is his name. I know dumb gymnasts and I know old gymnasts. I don't know any dumb old gymnasts. <laughs> so the older you get, the smarter you need to be about what you say yes and no to. But partner acrobatics is very low impact on your body. Gymnastics, no matter how good you do it, it's a high impact sport. So yeah, this is uh, one of the things is, as far as a fountain of youth, yoga, you can do your whole life. Acrobatics, you can do your whole life. Can you have like um, accidents or injuries while doing acro yoga when you have someone on top of the other and falling because that's a bit nightmare? Yeah, for sure. And yeah. any any sport, there's inherent risk, and there's also inherent risk to not moving your body. Repetitive stress injuries. So, uh, you know, I've thought a lot about this. I want to live in a community where broken bones are more common than high cholesterol and frozen shoulder and all these other things that uh, when you're sedentary, sedentary is very predictable. You're going to die slowly in very painful ways and breaking a bone it actually physically grows back stronger. And this is why the therapeutic branch of acro yoga is so important. You know, I, I joke around, I tell my friends, if I break it, I fix it. And it's so true. <laughs> if, if I do something with a partner and we're doing hard acrobatics and you know, at the end of the practice, the wrist is a little bit sore, I end the practice by doing therapeutics. And it's a really beautiful ritual. You know, it's kind of, you see birds do this where they'll, you know, work on each other's feathers and, you know, primates do this when they pick the bugs out of each other's skin. It's a very beautiful aspect of humanity to be able to push somebody to a limit. This is a little bit of um, information about the word acrobat. So, you know, the, the place Acropolis in Athens? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, polis yeah, yeah. means city. Acro, Acropolis, is the city on the edge. Ah. So bat is to walk. Acrobat is walking on the edge. Okay. So we take people to edges. Okay. And when we're at that edge, yoga again means union. So it's the union that is forged by 
facing an edge and, and going right up to it. And this is what we do again and again and again. And you can't face your edge without taking risks. And risks are what makes life worth living. It's fun. It's sexy. It, it makes our, our, our hearts move. It makes all the chemicals, the bartender and our pineal gland. It's like, all right, let's do something <laughs> risky. I'm ready for my morning drink. <laughs> Who would you like? You told me you had a list of people you would like uh, to fly. Yes. So acrobatically or therapeutically. Yes. So Who's Barack Obama, yeah. uh, Oprah Winfrey, if you're out there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and the Dalai Lama, you said Dalai also. Lama was. I actually went, uh, I saw him at a, at a big conference one time, and I don't know if he would if he would say yes to it, but uh, he was on the list, and then I got more realistic about, you know, I don't see him hugging and touching that many people, but if the Dalai Lama wants to do a flight, I would be honored. And one of, <laughs> one of my favorite things I saw about him is somebody was interviewing him, and they said, so when you're not being the Dalai Lama, what do you do for fun? He's like, I love to watch animal programs and I love to watch animal programs. So I just want to sit with him and kind of snuggle and watch an animal program. <laughs> I think that might be more fun than acro yoga with him, but we'll see if he wants to fly. I'm definitely interested. Yeah. Because you're ending some position with uh, a ma massage sometimes when uh, you're arching or mm -hmm. you're massaging the other ones. That's the massage part. We haven't really talked too much about. So basically the way that I see healing arts, every discipline of healing arts can be very deep whether it's Chinese medicine, uh, Ayurvedic medicine, Western medicine. But the simple way that I think about vitality is flow. And, you know, you think about water. When water stagnates, bad things happen. When water moves, you have freshness. So uh, when you put somebody's body upside down, your heart is pumping blood from your biggest muscles, your legs and your butt, up to the biggest user, which is your brain. So just by being upright, the heart is working harder than it needs to, and you're not getting as much blood as you could be. As soon as you go upside down, all the blood from your legs with gravity goes to your head. So your heart gets to relax, your blood gets flushed up into your head. So being able to utilize this beautiful inversion coupled with when we're standing on our feet, and we're pushing into the ground, gravity is very consistent. It's 9.8 meters per second straight down. And when our feet push into the ground, we create muscles, we create tension patterns. And these tension patterns over time, if you have an ankle injury, if you have a baby that you carry on your right side, we have all these asymmetric things. Now flip your body upside down and gravity is helping your spine and all of your muscles get into a place where there's more space and there's more flow. So... This is what the Acroyoga Flying Therapeutics is, is the ability to use gravity and use inversions in a way that increases flow and vitality. How has this adventure of uh, creating uh, Acroyoga has changed you uh, over the years? Wow. Yeah, uh, Jenny, the co-founder, and I had a phrase, uh, Acroyoga, strong women and sensitive men. <laughs> we wanted to make a t-shirt. And I've become a lot more sensitive and... I love that I have now tools to empower others. And I have this party trick where if I fly somebody, it's not uncommon for them to cry. It's not uncommon for them to say that was the best massage I've ever received. So I've been able to, because of what I've discovered and, and cultivated, 
I can cut through a lot of the bullshit that keeps people separate of they're too old or they speak the wrong language. There's a lot of divisions that are common. And as soon as I get to do acro yoga flying therapeutics with somebody, I have a resonance with them and they have a resonance with me and the amount of trust that is built. One of the things that I, I put in the book as one of my principles is fly people before you negotiate. And <laughs> yeah, I've been saying that for years. So I get to New York and my, my book agent takes me to five different places. And the first one was Random House, which is a very big book company. I'm like, I'm going to get my million dollar advance. This is going to be great. And I get there and I don't really like the guy very much. He's just, resonance was not there. And I say, would you like to try some acro yoga? And he says, no, 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 no. And so out of those five people that I went to in New York, the one person where I said, would you like to try acro yoga? She's like, yes. And she was a very fit, able-bodied woman. And I did acrobatics with her. I did therapeutics with her. I did so many things. And, you know, I, I found out later that she went into the boardroom. She's like, this guy changed my life in five minutes. We need to give him twice as much money than you think. He's the guy. Let's go. And what I live in my practice and in my life is what I put in the book. And it's what I put forth. And I don't feel that I... I'm trying to manipulate people by flying them before I negotiate. I want to have resonance with somebody before yeah. I build something. And this is a very beautiful way to, to generate and engender a lot of resonance. Last question for you. It's the same question I'm asking to all the guests. If there is something that gives you hope, what mm. it is? that it's not that hard for people to laugh and it's not that hard for people to connect and that I've been able to, uh, throughout the years, find these, these little silly games and these little silly practices that bring people back to that childlike state and that innocent place. As heavy as the world is now, There have been times in history where it's been heavier. It's been worse. I've watched this one on YouTube where it's like the worst year of humanity, 526 AD. I don't know if that's a year. It could be. <laughs> and there was this huge volcano and it blacked out the skies and there was famine and it was just horrible. Like there are some really tragic things that are happening and there's some really beautiful things that are happening. And I have hope when I see people let go. Here we come back let go of the past, find that present moment. In that present moment, find joy with a community of people that are seeking out joy. So I have hope when I see this fire of acro yoga spreading around the world where people that are strangers get to learn how to play with each other, trust each other, because our natural state is kindness. And the word kindness comes from the word kin or family. And when you feel like you have a family and you feel like you're supported by this family, good things ripple out. Thank you so much, Jason Nemer. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Merci. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode and Jason Nemer explaining with passion how we co-founded this very fun new practice of acro yoga. If you did, please leave us a good review and follow us on Instagram Harvest Series. All of our podcasts are also filmed, so you can also visit youtube.com slash Harvest series. Next week, we'll release a short episode with Anita Frau-Wolner about the gut. Until next time. Mm -hmm.